How's it going, everybody? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be talking about theological notes. Now, this may sound a bit weird because most people don't know what theological notes are, but theological notes are very, very important because theological notes have to do with how authoritative something is. Um, with, with matters of theology, you'll have the manualists often talk about uh, this idea of theological notes, that some things are more authoritative than other things. So, for example, we would regard the resurrection as uh, a different level of authority than, let's say, um, the idea of physical promotion or some very uh, particular matter of theology. There's going to be these multiple graded um, authorities and there's particular uh, categories these get put in and particular opposites to these. For example, the word heresy, that is a very technical term in these theolog these opposites to theological notes. So it, these are going to be very important to be able to, to go over. Oh, my mom says hi. Hi, mom. Okay, so before that, um, everybody, make sure you become a patron, patreon.com slash militantthomist, if you are uh, interested in helping me do what I do. And uh, also in the link below, if you go to christianbwagner.com slash shop, you can uh, find some of the books which I've reprinted and such, but I will get right into it. Okay, let's put it right up there. So next to it, I did make the uh, the text big enough so I can put it like this rather than having to put my face down at the corner. Okay, so first um, we have the note called divine faith or de fida divina. And the opposite of this is an error in faith. So um, error in fide. And these are those things which are contained in the word of God. So if, if, the, uh, if the matter of theology is contained in the Bible, we would regard it as, or in tradition, we would regard it as something which is uh, de fide divina or uh, divine faith. And an example of this would be the resurrection, um, the descent into hell, um, the incarnation, stuff like that is, is de fide divina. And you'll often get people who are, uh, who over-exaggerate uh, this idea of something being de fide or part of the gospel. But uh, de fide, that just means that it's something which is contained in the word of God that we're, that we're putting forth. The second one's a little bit different. Um, this is going to be de fide divina et catholica, uh, or divine and Catholic faith. This is, this is that uh, step above, because not only is it something which is contained in the word of God, but it's also proposed by the church as something which is to be believed. And this is when you use that technical term, heresy. So we, we would call somebody a heretic if they're denying something which is de fide divina et catholica, something which is not only contained in the word of God, but it's also proposed uh, from the church to be something which is uh, to be believed. And then uh, th there's actually kind of a subspecies of this, which is uh, defined divining Catholic faith. So this is something which is not only in the word of God and defined by the church, but it's also something in the word of God defined by the church in the way in which it is defined is uh, after the matter of infallibility. So it's something which is defined in an ecumenical council, something which is uh, defined ex, ex cathedra by the Pope. And an example of this would be transubstantiation. Not only is transubstantiation something which is contained in the word of God um, in, in the uh, gospels, this is my body, 
but it's also something which is contained in the word of God and something which is defined by the church. So next would be something which is fide proxima or proximate to faith. And this is something which has a universal agreement of theologians as being contained in the word of God. So this is slightly different than the last one because it's it's not, not only contained in the word of God, but this is also um, found in the majority of theologians. So theologians agree on this one as being contained in the word of God. And then if you uh, if you disagree with it, it's not heresy, but it's proximate to heresy or also defined as uh, proximate, uh, something which is proximate to error. And an example of this is the uh, the universality of the atonement. So the fact that God died for all um, after the after a certain manner. This is uh, denied by, uh, for example, Gostock and uh, in, in certain ways denied by uh, other groups. But this isn't necessarily something which is heresy because it has not yet been treated uh, by the church. So we don't have an absolute certainty that it's something which is contained in the word of God, but only um, some sort of proximate certainty. So it's something which is um, proximate to faith. And then uh, next, Fides Ecclesiastica, or uh, based on the authority of the church. And then it's important to note that uh, those who hold the material sufficiency do not uh, hold the existence of something which is based on the authority of the church alone. Um, I don't hold to this being a theological note because I think that everything the church defines is something which is at least implicitly contained in scripture. But this is a note which is used um, because uh, it's not something which is formally revealed in scripture, but I believe everything when it comes to matters of faith are formally revealed in scripture. And an example of this that they would cite would be the bodily assumption of Mary. Um, that's something that they would say is uh, only based on the authority of the church and not formally revealed in the word of God. But again, um, I think that there's um, scriptural uh, backing for the bodily assumption. And then uh, there's doctrine, doctrina catholica, uh, Catholic doctrine. So um, that is something which is taught for the whole church, but it's not uh, proposed infallibly. So if you if you look through a lot of the magisterial documents, for example, uh, when you have encyclicals of the Pope, or you have um, certain uh, things which are done by various Roman congregations that are proposed for the for the whole church, uh, that is something which is Catholic doctrine. Uh, that's something which is doctrina catholica, but it's not something which is necessarily proposed infallibly. So this would just be described as an error in Catholic doctrine. This is not something which is a heresy. An example of this would be the baptism of desire. The fact that somebody who is desiring baptism is given the graces of baptism. So, uh, yeah. And then next is, uh, as you see, I'm descending when it comes to, uh, when it comes to authority. So uh, something which is theologically certain or theologique certa or kerta, I guess it would be kerta. I don't know if there's the hard C with, with that Latin term. Um, I guess it depends on whether you're uh, using ecclesiastical or um, classical pronunciation. But it's something which is recognized by the schools of theology as being necessarily held because it's connected with revealed truths. So this is very important. It's not something which is necessarily uh, defined in the word of God, but it's something which is connected as uh, as being necessary in order to hold the word of God. So um, an example, actually, this wouldn't be an example, but this was an example before the Council of Trent. So before the Council of Trent, an example of this would be the canon. 
it's something which is uh, necessarily connected with revealed truths. So you need to, uh, you, you need to hold it. But now it's, uh, it's something which is actually divine and Catholic faith, not something which is um, theologically certain. But an example of this would be the uh, Limbus Pothrum or the, uh, the limbo of the fathers. So the fact that when Christ ascended into hell, uh, what by hell we mean the, uh, the realm of the dead where the, the fathers uh, before Christ were, were held and there he announced the gospel. That's something which is theologically certain, uh, but it's not something which has been uh, defined uh, by the magisterium. And then the opposite of this is going to be an error in theology. And then um, this one's this one's cool. Um, Doctrina ita temenda ut contraria sit temeria. Kind of sounds poetic. So it's some, it's a doctrine to be held that its contrary is temerious. So that that is a very lengthy theological note. And this one isn't used much, but it actually uh, is used by some, such as in the uh, uh, what what is that um, sacre uh, theologiae uh, summa. Um, the Jesuit uh, Summa that's written in the 20th century. This is something which is used. And that is a truth which is proposed by the Roman congregations, such as the CDF, but it's not yet been proposed uh, by the Pope. And then uh, communis et certa in theologia. That is something which is common and certain in theology. This is, uh, this is what's commonly taught by the schools of theology. But, uh, and then the opposite is false in theology. So uh, uh, that would be, for example, the superabundant merits of the saints, which flow into the treasury of the church. That would be one of those ideas which are uh, common and certain in theology, though there are detractors to that. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I can't think of an example, but I know uh, Cajetan uh, in his writings on the, on the um, treasury of merits of Thesaurus Meritorum, he talks about uh, this idea of it being common and certain in theology, but that there are detractors. But the opposite of this isn't heresy, it's just false in theology. And then this is the lowest grade, which is something which is uh, probable. And uh, th this is just a general category of those things which are taught by individual schools, but there's great disagreement. So denying this, there's not even a term for its denial because it's not really a, a huge deal. This is just something which, uh, which individual schools put forth as their ideas on certain matters. But the magisterium hasn't spoken and it isn't it, it hasn't reached such a certainty in the word of God that it would require any sort of censure. An example of this would be uh, physical promotion or a scientia, scientia, scientia media, uh, middle knowledge. Um, trying to think of any others. Um, yeah, th those are just things that individual schools teach that aren't taught uh, really universally. And it's also not proposed by the magisterium. And then it's also not too certain in the word of God. So uh, that is, yeah, that's all of them. If there's any questions, I'll answer them, but I'm not seeing any. This isn't really a topic which requires many questions. But I'll give you guys a minute. Yeah, and I think these theological notes are really important because that term heresy gets thrown around a lot. We have to be very, um, very particular about how we're defining error and also how we're defining truth because you can't really overstate 
the uh, the support that a certain certain doctrine has. Like as much as I would love to uh, anathematize Scientia Media, uh, the Magisterium, nor the uh, consensus of theologians have. Justin the Catholic. I went to EWTN studio today. It was like the Lorax. Everything was closed for COVID. Talked to a Baptist security guard. He said no one ever told him he should become Catholic. What in the world? What level of, of authority is Amoris Laetitia? Uh, that would be... Um, this This isn't necessarily about magisterial teaching uh, in particular, but be, the doctrines contained in there... Um, it's not something which is, let me see. Yeah, it would be a Catholic doctrine, Doctrina Catholica, uh, because it's something which wasn't uh, proposed infallibly. Do you believe in the Jesuit concept of de fide non definita? Um, yeah, I would think there would be things which are de fide but not defined. Uh, Michael Lofton uh, talks about this a lot. He would say, uh, for example, like uh, being like Christ being the Messiah. That isn't something which um, the church is hardcore defined. And you have to also think about this in the realm of history, too, because there was certain times when these things weren't defined. Um, and then some of these, like I was talking about with the canon of scripture, they can change levels. But there's certain things which obviously don't change levels. Like the uh, like some of the uh, Christological and Trinitarian um, concepts would be de fide even before they were defined. What level of authority does the Gospel of John have? <laughs> that uh, that would be uh, something which is um, it wouldn't even it, it's not really a uh, theological propositions uh, per se being given there. So I guess it would just be. Um, uh, verbum dei, just just word of God. So I don't know what the opposite of uh, of something which I, I don't know what that would be. Um, what we would call somebody who would deny propositions explicitly given forth in Scripture. I guess that would just be. I would just generally call it heresy. Something which is contained in the Word of God and is proposed by the Church to be believed. I don't. Know, I don't I guess I guess when the church uh, canonized the Gospel of John, it's proposing like literally the whole gospel to be believed. So I guess you could say it was would be heresy. I've been agnostic most of my life, and I'm starting to have a strong sense of religion over the past few years. I'm really enjoying your channel and your reasoning. Please, no bully. <laughs> I promise I won't bully you. Yeah, there's there's good writings on uh, agnosticism. I don't know. I don't know how deep you are, and I don't know if you're like a philosophical agnostic. But there's some good stuff which is written by uh, by some of the early 20th century uh, theologians, such as uh, Garrigou Lagrange um, in the uh, Sacre Doctrine Summa. There's there's good there's good engagement with uh, agnosticism that happens because with uh, Kantianism, agnosticism came to the forefront. So it's a pretty important thing to uh... Michael Hall. What level of authority does uh, Doctoris Angeliki have? Uh, de fide, just in case you were wondering. 
My mom wants me to bring Augustine on the stream. Everybody always asks about him because I've had him on streams before um, when I've had to watch him. Yeah, I, I, I definitely need to think about that, Michael, because it, it does seem like the, the magisterium is pretty strong in the early 20th century about um, Thomism being the only the only theology. I guess you could argue um, that with uh, Doctoris Angeliki um, and other such, like the 1917 canon, uh, canon law, um, that it would be something which is uh, just merely a practical consideration or prudential consideration of the church. I know that's what Byzantine Skoda says when I asked him about Attorney Patris and how he's a Scotist. Uh, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like that from the text. Bring back the wall bucks. Uh, they're, they're sitting... What happened? Oh yeah, I had to put him in the put him in the garage. Uh, yeah, this is this is as you can see, there's spackle on the wall. This is turning into Augustine's room, and uh, so this is in a process of uh, I'm in a process of switching my office. So who's your confirmation saint? Uh, it will be because I'm not confirmed yet. It will be Saint John Henry Newman. Um, I got his got a Saint John Henry Newman medal right here. So, yeah, he's uh, definitely very important. And I think I have his, although all my stuff is off my walls right now. And everything's being cleaned. You know how that goes, moving around all my stuff. Okay. Does it being a moto proprio offer more specificity there? I don't know. I'd have to ask Michael often. He knows a lot more about magisterial. I don't know much about magisterial stuff why didn't you choose saint thomas aquinas um yeah that was definitely I, I was i definitely uh those were my two because i do have a saint thomas medal too right here um uh when it comes to uh saint thomas aquinas i mean he's much more influential on my thought Definitely. Uh, but with St. John Henry Newman, uh, he's much more influential with my conversion. He definitely was able to speak to me as an Anglican um, a lot better than St. Thomas was. And he was dealing with a lot of uh, contemporary issues that in St. Thomas, while he has the angelic intellect that uh, that um, Pope St. Leo Thirteenth will talk about uh, with St. John Henry Newman, he's he's one of those thinkers where even if you disagree with him, he's going to make you think. So uh, that was really helpful. Uh, my mom's asking, who is St. John Henry Newman? Uh, St. John Henry Newman, he was a uh, 19th century uh, Anglican who started what's called the Tractarian Movement and um, or the Anglo-Catholic Movement within the Anglican Church, which in the America, that'd be the Episcopal Church. So um, what, what he did is he uh, Catholicized the Anglican Church. And then eventually he converted to Roman Catholicism and became a Roman Catholic cardinal. And he was a very important thinker when it comes to um, ideas of, of the relationship between theology and history, which was really helpful uh, for me. Okay, uh, you have to pick one. St. John Fisher, St. Thomas More, St. Thomas Beckett, St. John Henry Newman, King Alfred the Great. Who do you pick? Oh, this is a difficult one. Um, I like Thomas More. I, li I really like St. Thomas More. Um, he was definitely a really bright guy. Uh, 
And that, and he has a very courageous story. Because, I mean, St. John Henry Newman's great with his writing, but uh, when it comes to St. Thomas More, he just he just stood up to King Henry VIII, and he didn't care, and he kind of outsmarted King Henry VIII. And then eventually, he just he died, which is uh, which is very nice. Do you follow any saints who has helped you spiritually with their writings? Um, St. John of the Cross, he's been really great uh, with his um, ascent of Mount Carmel. Um, and then his Dark Night of the Soul. Um, but I mean, I when it comes to the relationship between devotion and uh, theology, I don't like the, the strict um, division between the two areas of devotion and theology. So, uh, I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas has been just as important. Because when it comes to the content, because when it comes to Catholic spirituality or really spirituality in general, um, uh, this sort of idea of mystical experience or uh, devotional growth, it does come from contemplating the truth. And then in contemplating the truth, we contemplate God. So the, the fact that uh, the contemplation of God is the, the chief end of man, which is why the beatific vision is so important, the vision of God uh, after death. Um, that that is uh it, it makes the theological writings just as just as important uh as strictly devotional writings mm. here are my favorite contemporary theologians oh that's a difficult one oh man contemporary theology i don't really read contemporary theology i don't really care for it are you currently going to the ordinariate? Uh, there's no ordinariate parish near me, um, but I am getting received into the ordinariate. Okay. What is a confirmation saint? My dad wants to know. <laughs> um, a, a confirmation saint is basically when you get confirmed or uh, generally speaking, received into the, the church, you kind of choose a, a saint who's going to pray for you. Um, just somebody who, who you really like, somebody who, who really inspires you because there, the, there's the idea of the intercession of the saints, which is wrongly phrased by a lot of Roman Catholics as praying to saints. Um, you know, Roman Catholics don't really pray to saints. Uh, it's not something which we do. That would be, uh, something which would be idolatrous. We really, uh, pray through saints just as I would ask somebody else to pray for me. So I ask somebody, um, who has already, uh, reached heaven to pray for me. Um, it's kind of the idea in uh, the epistle of James, where he talks about the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So how much more would the prayers of those who are already in heaven avail much? So do you know much about Cardinal Baronius? I do not. Do you think we're getting more Anglican bishops soon? Yeah. Yeah. The you'll, you'll get, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think American bishops, I think really with the, with um, the Episcopal church, is the Episcopal Church is a lot more extreme in, than the Church of England. The Episcopal Church started ordaining women in 1977. And you had a way out with the uh, American Anglicans, with the continuing church, and uh, with the ACNA in 2007. So um, 
that that those are ways out for the American bishops and American priests. But with England, you have no, you have nothing else. You basically have, I think you have maybe one continuing bishop and then one Gafcon bishop in, in England. But with England, your choices are basically the ordinary or stay in the absolutely demonic church of England. And the church of England really is horrible. I'm just waiting for their first transgender bishop to, to come forth. What's the deal with online heads become Eastern Catholic? Isn't the only way for true American patriots, Latin right Roman Catholicism? I don't know. I, I I really don't know. This is a really popular choice for, for them to be Eastern Catholic rather than Roman Catholic. Um, I think it might have to do with the crisis in the church because personally I have an Eastern Catholic parish that is 35, 40 minutes away from me. And that's probably the parish I would go to if the time worked out, just because I know um, in an Eastern Catholic parish that it's going to be relatively conservative. I won't have to deal with a lot of the issues that come with uh, your, your normie um, Nova Sordo parishes that I've went to where, yeah, it's, it's like, I still have not to this point found a, uh, I, I, I mean, I go to mass every week, obviously, but I still have not have found a mass that I, that I've permanently like, okay, I'm going to go there every single week, this time, this place. And I've, I've went to probably half a dozen different masses, trying them out and uh, they like scheduling wise. And then also with the, the type of mass it's uh, I haven't found one to go to. I'm thinking eventually if I can't find something that works, I'll just go to closest church, you know, just uh, Christ is present, whether it's Novus Ordo, Eastern Rite, Ordinary, Latin Rite, whatever it may be. Okay. Good question. Can people who do not belong to the Catholic Church go to heaven? Um, so this is a, there's a pretty long history behind this answer. So what you'll have is um, the the era of the Reformation. So these these questions of whether people who well, so there's questions. Um, right after the Reformation, when you had large parts of the church break off from the Catholic Church. And then you also had um, the finding of the Americas. So you had a lot of people, because before um, the Reformation, uh, there was this idea that basically all you had were Catholics, Jews, and Muslims, and then maybe a few weird people all the way in the East. But with the Reformation, you had this realization that there was a lot of people who were outside of the Catholic Church, and including Christians who were outside of the Catholic Church. So uh, through basically from the Reformation to to the modern era, there's been this uh, this dealing of this question um, over and over and over again by a lot of theologians, uh, especially by what's called the Salamanca School, which was uh, a school of Thomas in the in Spain in the 16th century. So the consensus which has been reached, and this is pr a pretty certain consensus as the teaching of the church, is um, we know where God's grace is, but um, which is within the confines of uh, the church which Christ has established. But when it comes to uh, Eastern Orthodox or Protestants, we have a very great certainty because of the fact that we share a common set of scriptures we share uh, the sacrament of baptism. We we there's there's this great deal of uh, what's called participation in the Catholic faith within uh, Protestant communions 
and within uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church. So we can be very sure of um, of the fact that uh, Protestants go to heaven, um, for example, those who are uh, devout. But um, what it does say, uh, the magisterial documents, is there's a different for a, difference for apostates, is those who know the, Catholic, the, the truth of the Catholic faith, and then um, they're certain of it, they're devoutly Catholic, and then they leave the, the church, and whether they... Um, become Protestant or whether they um, become atheist, we, we could be very sure about those who, uh, knowing the truth of the faith, decide to leave the faith. So that's that's the one corollary to that. But in general, uh, people who do not belong to the Catholic Church, uh, when it comes to those who uh, are Christians, um, in the magisterium, in the, in the catechism of the Catholic Church, does describe Protestant groups as Christians. Those who are Christians, we can be pretty sure um, as long as obviously uh, they're not uh, apostate or uh, false believers or, or such like that, we can be very sure um, of that. But when it comes to uh, Jews, Muslims, um, atheists, agnostics, stuff like that, we can be very sure unless there is um, insane circumstances, such as uh, what's called um, culpable ignorance. Um, so somebody that, uh, for example... Uh, let's say um, they're brainwashed by a cult or something like that. Um, if they're brainwashed by a cult or uh, yeah, the examples like that where they, they could not have known um, the truth and there's se severe um, reasons why. Okay. So do you hope to apply to PhD programs one day? Yeah, I'm still finishing up uh, my master's degree, and that's going a little bit slower than I thought. Um, but it's I'll be done within a year. Uh, PhD, um, I go back and forth whether I want to uh, pursue a PhD or not. Because one, that would usually require moving unless I do a, a European-style PhD, which is just thesis writing. And then also, it's going to take a lot of time and, and effort. I just have to... Um, kind of evaluate my own skills to see if I need to sharpen my, uh, my research skills a little bit more after, after I graduate. Um, yeah, Justin, the Catholic closest church is the way to go, brother. The Catholic church is ethnic geographic as well as universal Catholic consumerism of parish shopping is a no go. Go to the closest parish and defend the faith. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking about that the other day. Like, I mean, I love like the TLM, the, the traditional Latin mass. I love like the Byzantine rite and stuff like that. But I kind of just want to go to the nearest church and just like find a community, you know? So can you lose your salvation? Um, it's a good question. Uh, let me think how to answer that question. Um, so... There, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, he'll make this distinction between um, those elected to uh, salvation and then those elected to perseverance and then those merely elected to, to the covenant. So uh, in, in, the, in the process, uh, generally the process of salvation, the way in which we think about it, um, there's going to be um, that moment in which... Uh, one one receives the great receives grace uh, through faith 
um, faith, which is uh, which is formed by love, uh, as Paul talks about. And then they're in what's called a state of grace. They are um, they are in faith, hope, and love, a communion of faith, hope, and love with with God. And then um, there are certain of those who enter into this uh, state of grace who uh, apostatize. They they um, leave the faith. And uh, this apostasy can happen through um, completely losing faith. This ha can happen through completely losing love too. So in this apostasy, um, they are they fall from the state of grace. And then, um, so that that's what the idea of what we call mortal sin. So that would be described as losing your salvation. But um, but those uh, people who who are in this situation were uh, in the Augustinian framework, not elected to salvation. Those, uh, those were certain people which were, um, which were merely uh, elected to be the part of the covenant for a time. And you see this described through, uh, through St. Paul's writings, such as uh, in Hebrews 6, those who tasted the heavenly gift, um, those who crucified Christ again. You describe it as uh, those uh, for whom Christ died for, uh, leaving the faith you have these very realistic uh this very realistic language of grace being present in uh in those who leave the faith and uh those who uh who in, in the words of jude twist the word of god unto uh, unto damnation you you get this being described over and over again but on the other hand you have those texts of scripture which describe uh salvation as something which uh which in a sense can't be lost so we have to we have to in our reading of a holistic reading of scripture uh, keep these two points um, in intention, but also have something which uh, which does not have a blatant contradiction. And uh, I, I think Augustine did it the best way when he talks about those who are brought into the covenant for a time and then leave the faith, and then others who are elected under perseverance. It's those uh, sheep which will never leave the hand of God. It's those who the love of God can never separate, as in Romans eight. So, so you have these two these two groups of people that are described. Okay, um, why did you choose Anglicanism versus Lutheranism? I feel like Lutherans make better points than Anglicans. Um, I didn't choose Lutheranism because of um, certain ecclesial issues. The fact that Lutherans really have no just claim to be a part of the Christ that the the church that Christ established, where uh, I could I could argue it uh, being an Anglican uh, that that there's a uh, there was a uh, schism within the church, not necessarily from the church. Okay, so Elijah asks, "What do you have your undergrad in? Biblical and theological studies." That's what I studied, although I was kicked out before I graduated, just to make it clear. As a recent convert, how do you feel about things like the secret of Fatima? Um, the secret of Fatima. Um, I don't know how to put this nicely, but uh, I don't really care, honestly. Uh, there's this kind of obsession um, among traditionalists when it comes to private revelations and when it comes to... Uh, stuff like that, but I don't really care about it, honestly. <laughs> like, I, I much more carry about, uh, care about uh, scripture, tradition, the theologians of the church, 
and uh, magisterial documents. I mean, yeah, I'll I'll celebrate the feast of Our Lady of Fatima. I'll, I'll definitely do that, and that that that's that's really about it when it comes to my engagement with it. I don't I don't really get into all the weird conspiracy theory stuff because it's private revelation. And honestly, when I've been thinking about it a lot recently, when it comes to the nature of uh, of private revelation and, uh, and these things like Fatima and, uh, and and stuff like that, they are very um, they are they're very restricted to the time in which they were spoken. For example, Fatima talks a lot about World War One, communism, World War Two. Obviously, these things have uh, have uh, an effect on what happens nowadays, obviously. But really, um, they're much more relevant to the people of their time, and uh, their continuing relevance uh, diminishes. And then, uh, okay, Novus Ordo Catholics need the traditional faith too. If everyone who knows about the traditional Catholic faith goes to another parish, how they ever find out about it? Yeah, uh, there is this in the traditional movement, um, this uh how, how do i put it this gathering of sex little uh we're in our little traditionalist community apart from the rest of the church and we're gonna be a bulwark against uh whatever the rest of the church says and i don't think that's the uh that's the way of going about it okay um what is your goal in running this channel um I have a lot of goals. Um, I'm thinking of kind of like long term doing like a David Bentley Hart sort of thing. Just not have any like institutional affiliation. Because I mean the the uh, the scholarly rat race, especially from people who I've who I've talked to. Like you have people who have their PhDs from very good institutions. Have written multiple books, and they still can't get a job. It's it's kind of kind of ridiculous. So it's kind of off putting for me. I would rather um, do this and write to uh, a group of people that enjoy it. Have to read. I don't want to be writing insane, insanely specific scholarly books that like ten people are ever going to read. It's not something which I really want to do. It's not something which I'm really interested in. I definitely like to uh, get involved ecclesiastically. I think I can I can help in that way, especially with uh, with catesis. I think that's one of my strong points. So uh, yeah, that's kind of my goal. Um, and then also, obviously, make this something more full time. Because right now, I mean, I get a, I get a, a good amount of uh, funds that that help me out from this. But uh, over the next year or two, I'd like to get to the point where I can, I can uh, at least lower my hours at work, because I mean, kind of, kind of sucks to, uh, to feel like when it comes to those forty hours a week where I could be writing and studying and, and stuff like that that I that I have to uh, have to work. My feeling is that these controversies would be off-putting for more recent converts. Yeah, it's I. I like people ask me about stuff all the time and like, obviously I know, uh, I know a good bit about, um, at least I, I don't know about a good bit, but uh, a sufficient amount when it comes to uh, like scholastic theology. Um, 
in, in, in areas like that, those are strong points. Then people ask about like anything that's happened since like 1940. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then I know, I know Fatima happened before that, but like what the controversies that have happened since the 1940s. Where do you work? Eh, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really want to dox myself that bad especially since I, I do have some controversial takes. Have you thought about joining a third order? I've thought about joining. Um, there's, there's uh, I'm near Charlotte. So there's the Charlotte Dominicans, which are one of the biggest uh, um, third order groups. I've thought about joining the Charlotte Dominicans. Um, it's just that they have their meetings at Saturday at like 8 a.m. And I work the night shift. So I'm getting off of work at Saturday at 7 a.m. And I have to go home and go to bed. So it's not really practicable, at least at the moment. What sort of work do you do? I do overnight stocking, actually, interestingly enough. I like it. I mean, it. I think the biggest advantage is I'm allowed to listen to stuff while I work. So I'll read like a book a night, which is pretty cool. Last night I read uh, I read um, Taylor Marshall and his infiltration because everybody had been talking about him. Like, ah, you know, I think I'm going to read it. And uh, I'm not the biggest fan. I, I think there's a lot of... Uh, I, th I mean, a lot of the the uh, facts which he brings forward are are pretty interesting, um, and I mean, there's a few inaccuracies, but I think the narrative that he draws isn't um, isn't the best. Okay, I'm gonna go. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Become a patron, patreoncom thomist and do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand.